Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're considering from raw materials to patients' arms, how are COVID-19 vaccines made? I'm Sue Saville. Thank you for joining the conversation. And with me to discuss the manufacturing process are Luke von Steinwinkel, who's the site lead at the Pfizer Poor's Belgian site, and he's also vice president of Pfizer Biotech Operations. Also with us, Danny Hendrickson, vice president of Pfizer Global Supply Chain. Well, welcome to you both. So, of course, the concept of messenger RNA vaccines was new to us all not so long ago, but we do know that mRNA is a volatile genetic material, inherently unstable outside cells. So what sort of challenges did that create for you both in your roles of getting this pioneering vaccine made and and out into the world? Luke? Thank you. Thank you for the question. Thank you for uh, for having us. mRNA is indeed uh, very instable, as you mentioned. So uh, one of the challenges for us is to keep it stable and to keep it integer throughout the whole process. Very quickly, we have chosen to maintain very low temperature throughout everything we do, supply chain, but also during manufacturing. So, uh, yeah, we didn't have a lot of time to work on stability at that point in time, knowing that we would have to do it later. So we have chosen uh, for a safe route to be at very low temperature, knowing that it was stable at that temperature at minus 75. And now we are working on more stable formulations. And you mentioned temperature there in the supply chain, Danny. That must, of course, be absolutely critical, keeping it so cold. What sort of challenges did you face in the supply chain? Yeah, first of all, what uh, Luke uh, just said is indeed uh, the minus 75 degrees and keeping it through the whole physical supply chain was unseen. But on top of that, there were also for the supply chain many unknowns. Basically, we had no idea to whom we needed to ship, in what quantities. And as a result, we had to develop a supply chain with all those unknowns. So that was a little bit uh, the challenge uh, for us. And getting those vaccines then to countries where perhaps they haven't got the facilities, they might not have electricity, that indeed must have been a challenge. But recent data that the European Medicines Agency has referred to says now the data shows that the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine can be stored unopened at normal fridge temperatures for a month, longer than the five days initially thought. How exciting is that for you? Danny again. Yeah, I want to go back to the initial uh, situation that we developed a supply chain that we only had five days that we could keep it at uh, the two to eight. And basically the end-to-end supply chain was developed beyond what Pfizer uh, upon the delivery Basically, the very innovative shipper we have developed could also be used at the final destination as storage, as long as within a certain time period, they would be icing. Now, indeed, and that's the great journey that we do it from all aspects. We continue to develop new data, which resulted now, basically, that uh, the product can be maintained for a month at uh, 228. That's a giant step forward. Luke, with setting all of this up, how early did you have to start in planning all of this? We started planning uh, from day one, actually. (laughs) What is day one for us? Actually, mid-March, Pfizer and BioNTech made uh, an agreement, a letter of intent to work together 
on uh, having uh, this vaccine developed, tested and produced and supplied. So we started right away, mid-March, we had the first call and actually immediately we started designing and ordering equipment while not really knowing what we had to order, but we took safe bets on uh, what would work and we did a lot of things in parallel. The fact that we worked in parallel, of course, allowed to speed up quite a bit, but also allowed or caused that we uh, had a lot of changes throughout the path. Like, for example, if in one of the work streams, uh, a decision was made uh, different than the base assumptions, then everything had to change in the other work streams. So it was, let's say, um, uh, quite hectic and uh, we have been very agile, let's say. So... That's when we started, and uh, we started uh, building the first formulation suite beginning of June, uh, and we started the first production, and actually the first week of September, 100 days later, which was amazing. Uh, we have never done that ever before. So you've had to make these adaptations. You've had to be working and learning in parallel as you go along. Um, Danny, how did this happen at Poor's? What was it like putting those in place on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, the one thing I would like to call out, if you see that change, is the connectivity from an end-to-end perspective between the different nodes in the system. Um, I do think I can call out that my team with Luke's team and then the overall end-to-end planning team have never worked so close together, almost on a day-to-day basis at all levels, connecting so deeply, so thoroughly to adapt and be agile to be able to make uh, the changes. And I think for me, that was a necessity, but a great change in building this out end-to-end. And of course, that is a bit new for the pharmaceutical culture, where everything is normally planned well in advance and takes a lot of time. Now we had to make that complete switch. Initially, it was a bit difficult, but gradually we found our way of working in uh, making sure we uh, embraced actually all the new information that became available and included that in our plans. And with what you've learned from that, there must have been so much going on. I hope you've been able to capture some of those important lessons along the way. Will they be applicable in the future, perhaps to other medicines, but certainly how you work in the future? Absolutely, I believe. Uh, Not everything. We had a special situation with a pandemic background. But of course, we have learned that things can be challenged and things can be done in a different way. And... uh, Of course, we are also thinking on uh, how can we apply all these learnings in the next generation of vaccines, in other products in general, actually. Tell me, what are the main steps then in manufacturing mRNA COVID-19 vaccines? So, yeah, I'm leading the manufacturing site in Perth. That's my role. But the whole process is indeed uh, rather complex and also new for us, for manufacturing, for the pharmaceutical industry in general. So when... um, we receive the mRNA from other production sites in our uh, road network. Yeah. And that's where it starts for us. So mRNA is received in frozen condition. And then the first step for us is to uh, encapsulate the mRNA into uh, lipids. And we call that lipid nanoparticles. So very small particles having a bit of mRNA in the core and then surrounded by uh, different high-grade lipids. And we do that actually to stabilize the mRNA, but also to make it more effective in the human body. 
The lipids are dissolved in an ethanol solution. So afterwards, we need to put the LMPs in uh, the right matrix. And that's what we do via the TFF process or uh, a tangential flow filtration. And then uh, with that step, we have actually put the basic for the product for the vaccine, having the LMPs available in the right matrix. And then more regular steps of aseptic production start with uh, sterile filtration, the filling line, the labeling, and so on. It's, of course, very important here that we have uh, very short holding times and that the product is getting into the freezers uh, very, very quickly. So that's why we immediately label after the filling and inspection process and put it in those famous pizza boxes in the meantime and uh, freeze them at uh, minus 75. We put them in the freezers, actually waiting the release. So we have, of course, a lot of quality data to collect and a lot of analytical data to verify. And then finally, the product gets released and uh, we give it to Danny. And Danny is taking good care of it. So as Luke described there, the complexities of each layer of the manufacturing process, and then once it's made, it's over to the supply chain. Danny, that's your role. How do you ensure that those critical and complex quality control issues continue as you distribute to the world? Yeah, thank you for that question. It's a great question. Um, so basically, it starts with the shipper, as I explained, a pretty innovative uh, shipper that can maintain uh, the temperature. It's filled with dry ice. And that can maintain the temperature of minus 75 until 10 days. And on top of that, we uh, do real-time monitoring. And real-time monitoring just means we do much more than real-time temperature monitoring, which is part of it, of course. So we monitor the temperature, we monitor the location, and there are also security features in there. And it's not just monitoring. It's monitoring through control towers, internally and external, 24 hours, seven days per week. And we see proactively that there might be something happening, then we proactively intervene in the shipment and correct as needed. And uh, I think it's always great to show with the KPI, how are we doing? So today we are delivering 99.996% of good quality throughout the physical distribution chain. And if you know the magnitude that we already delivered globally, more than 400 million doses, that's just a, a great result from all the colleagues that are part of this supply chain. So this incredible scaling up that's been achieved, will that continue? Does it mean going forward that more upscaling, more widening of access and manufacturing needs to go ahead? Luke? Yeah, the upscaling that we have done has been the biggest upscaling we have ever done in Pfizer and maybe in pharmaceutical industry in general. It has been the biggest upscaling, but probably also the fastest upscaling ever done. So as I uh, said in my introduction, we started from a lab scale process. We had no idea how to industrialize this process to a level that you can actually supply the whole world with so many patients where there is so many demand as we all uh, know. So yes, we have now come to a level that uh, we produce more than 100 million doses per month. And uh, we keep further increasing indeed, uh, plan to be well beyond the 100 million. And uh, as most of you know, Pfizer has announced to have availability of 2.5 billion and even 3 billion uh, this year of doses. So that does require indeed a lot of upscaling and we continue to optimize the output of our manufacturing sites. 
It's been a remarkable year in so many ways. What about for you as the people there making it happen? What's it been like to be involved in this frightening, exciting, Danny? Um, my usual phrase here is if you're not excited by this as a supply chain professional to drive an innovative supply chain on a size that never has been on today and the difference you make for every person throughout the world and so many patients throughout the world, what gets you excited? So for me, it's like I'm truly excited, but also humbled that I can be part of this. And Luke? Yeah, so the people have been uh, literally working day and night, seven days a week, throughout summer, throughout vacations, to make this happen. So the energy that is present in the whole site, in the whole organization, within Pfizer, within BioNTech, to make this happen is enormous. And it does give a lot of energy, despite the issues we have, the challenges we have, there is always a lot of energy, a lot of support, a lot of uh, resources to resolve them quickly and to make it happen. So it doesn't feel like work. It feels much more like being on a mission. And it's exciting that every morning when we have our daily review of the output and the challenges of the past 24 hours, it's really an energizing meeting. So uh, we review everything we have done, the number of doses we have produced and it gives a lot of energy to the whole team and everyone on the side. So very exciting. Well, you've both been part of pharmaceutical history and indeed wider history in the making on the front line there. Really interesting to hear your insider thoughts about how this has been achieved. Thank you so much to both my guests today, Luke von Steinwinkel and Danny Hendricks, both of Pfizer. And thank you very much for listening to 19 Conversations. If you liked this podcast, please click the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating and a review. So until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye for now.